welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Crabby Christian, a Misfit Media Network production. I am your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Diane, hey, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian. I am so excited to be here. I think crappy Christian defines me, so this is pretty cool. <laughs> welcome. Welcome aboard. You. <laughs> so you have this really like incredible background. You're a journalist. You've you've done the like we were just talking about your your TV face, your news anchor face, like yeah. done the whole thing. But then you also have this really incredible experience with a uh, World War II veteran and you've written a book about it. And I was telling you before that uh, there's like a soft spot for me with just, I mean, veterans in general. And I really love, I really like love our country and I'm very patriotic. So this stuff kind of like hits a chord for me. So first, Diane, can you just introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, I will. Oh gosh, what a question. Tell us a little about yourself. That feels like where do you start? Okay. Right. Let me start from, I was born on, no, <laughs> I have been a journalist for the past 17 years and I live in Colorado Springs, Colorado, nice. and I work for the NBC affiliate here. And it is just, it's my dream job. It's what I always wanted to do, but didn't have the guts to do and mm. kind of followed in the footsteps of friends and people I admired. One of my dear friends from college is Erin Andrews and hello, she made it big. <laughs> time. So I just always had this dream of doing it. And I am so glad I did because I, like you, Blake, meet the most interesting people in the world. Yes. And I get invited to the coolest things. The most amazing things happen in my life. A lot of crappy things happen too, um, yeah. because of being a journalist and being in the spotlight. But I got invited to meet Jim at a veterans event. And they said, there's going to be a bunch of World War II veterans at this breakfast. Would you like to come? And when I first got here to Colorado Springs, I said yes to everything because I wanted people to know me. I wanted them to see my face. I wanted them to like me and I wanted them to watch my station, which yeah. at the time was the CBS affiliate KKTV in Colorado Springs. And so I said, yes. And I said, oh, I'll bring my chief photographer because they told me the oldest survivor of Pearl Harbor is going to be there. And I later learned he's the second oldest. There was one man older than him in my very deep research that I did as right. a journalist. But anyways, so I went there and he gets out of his car that he drove there at 99 and walks into the foyer. And I'm like, oh, this is so cool. And I know I'm only there for five seconds and I've got to get this quick interview soundbite. And I know what I want. Yeah. Probably like, you know, for your podcast that you know yeah. will resonate with your viewers. And so I talked to him about being a hero and he immediately put the attention on the veterans of today, which I thought mm. was so cool. He's like, oh, we only had to endure, you know, a few hours of that. They have to endure it every day. Like, oh, this is really cool that this man put the attention back on them instead of himself. And so he hands me his card. Okay. His card at 99 years old. That's Rad, right? Right. Totally. And I kind of chuckle at it, but not in like a, I don't want to say in like an ageist way. I just was like, wow, that's, that's really cool. He has a card. Yeah. And he said, Diane, I want to continue our conversation. Will you email me? 
And I was like, uh, yes. So I email him and he promptly responds. And he said, I want to continue this conversation over lunch. Would you and your husband like to meet us at Garden of the Gods Club? And I had just gotten there, but I knew what Garden of the Gods Club was because it's this fancy club that's overlooking this pristine mountain view. It's exquisite. And I was like, okay, sure, I'll go. Plus, I really just wanted to talk to him more. And I knew I only had those few minutes and I had to go. So we went and so began our conversation that was a little bit rough for me in the beginning. And I'll tell you why. The thing I don't like about part of our faith is that it can be pushy. And evangelism is really scary for me. Even that word, I can't even say it. It's weird for me. And so I thought, oh boy, what are we getting into here? I know he's one of the founders of The Navigators, which is the world, a worldwide Christian ministry based here in Colorado Springs. What is this going to be like? Mm-hmm. Well, his son went for the jugular probably in the first five minutes. He's like, tell me about your relationship with Christ. Wait, what? Hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Hi. <laughs> that is a bit much for me. Yeah. Right? Right. Would that be a lot for you, Mike? Probably not because you're not anymore, just because like right. I mean that's what you talk about. Right. For me, that is not what I talk about. If this is not what you're doing every day, all day as your full-time job, yeah, that's a lot. No one has ever asked me that. And I think I ask a lot of questions and nothing has ever stumped me more. Wow. And I looked at him and I said, Well, I was raised Catholic and I went to mass weekly with my family and I and I sat and I did the sign of the cross and I took communion and that's, that's the, that's the extent. And so we got into a bit of a conversation and I'm looking at Jim and he's just sitting there smiling, like his twinkling eyes. And he's just so comfortable. And I'm so annoyed that I want to get up and leave, but I know I don't want to leave because I want Mm -hmm. more from this man. And I don't exactly remember where the conversation went next, but at one point in the next few minutes, he said, do you want to see someone who is totally fulfilled? And I said, well, yeah, who doesn't want to see that? And he goes, you're looking at it. And it stopped me in my tracks because I thought, okay, in the first, in five minutes, you have now stopped me twice in shock, but one, because I want to know more and one, because I'm annoyed. (laughs) And when he said, you're looking at him, I bought it because there is a presence about Jim that was so calm, so Mm. at peace. And it wasn't just because he was 99 years old. There was something more to it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I want a piece of that. He goes, well, how about we study the Bible together? Well, I never studied the Bible in my life. So what are you talking about? Study the Bible together. I don't even know where my Bible is. I think it's still in the cellophane wrap that when I was confirmed in my marriage, before my marriage, (laughs) that someone, my mentor gave me and I never opened because it's just not, it's not that I wasn't interested. Well, I suppose I wasn't, but I, it wasn't something that Catholics really did. We just don't sit there Mm -hmm. and read it. Or if we do, maybe I've really missed out on that part on faith. So all the Catholics listening right now, I'm so sorry, <laughs> man. So began our Bible study, but before that I had to get my Bible. So I go in Barnes and Noble and I'm like Googling study Bible, yeah, ESV. Well, guess where the Bibles are? They're not hidden. They're right in front of the coffee shop. So <laughs> here I am thinking everyone is staring at me and I'm like sweating no one cares what I'm doing, but I'm so, I feel like such a heathen, so out of touch, so unaware of what this means to do a Bible study that I'm just so nervous. So I grab my ESV Bible. They say it has notes at the bottom. I'm like, great. I like that subtitles or something, whatever it is. And I just (laughs) grab it (laughs) and I go and I purchase it and I head out. Well, for five years, every Tuesday we met and studied the Bible together. And it was so cool, Blake, because 
like a couple years in, I decided I've got to start sharing this in some way. But as a journalist, you really can't talk about your faith. So mm-hmm. I just started doing this, not a podcast, but just a Facebook live with him weekly about a particular topic. And people tuned in in mass because they wanted to hear from this man who had so much to give and was so interesting. And it was so amazing. And our viewers loved it. And I, and not even just our viewers and people all over the world watched it. Yeah. That's amazing. I got to have him and I felt really spoiled. I got to have him from 99 to 104 because everyone didn't get him every week. And and it wasn't always just studying the Bible the whole time. I was really practically interviewing him the whole time because I'm so interested in the people I'm with. I'm so interested in what they have to say. And so it was just a delight. And so I spent more than 200 Tuesdays with him. Hence the title of my book, 200. Yeah, I love that. At first, when I read it, I was like, okay, what is this? And then when I started digging into what the book was, I was like, wait, that's so sweet. I want to go back to your original conversation at the Garden of the Gods Club where you're, and okay, I'm not trying to say that the sun was wrong in any capacity because different people do this whole thing differently, right? But you were essentially in that moment presented with two different forms of evangelism. You were presented with like upfront, what's your relationship with Jesus looked like, looks like, and you were presented with the draw in that made you say, I want what they have. Yes. And like both work in tandem, I think, but one of like the hallmarks of my life and my hope is that when I encounter people, they like, there's that quote that's like, share the gospel always when necessary, use words. Like Mm. I want people to see Jesus just in the way that I talk and treat people and engage. And like, yes, because Jesus is such a big part of my life, he's woven into my conversations. Like I can't help it, but like when presented with these two different, like quote unquote forms of evangelism, essentially one annoyed you and one made you like, I want to spend the next 200 Tuesdays with you. I love it that you said it that way, Blake. And I've never thought of it. That like, way. that's crazy. And I never thought of it as evangelism because hundred percent. that word is just the E word scares me. So I just yeah. can't do that. I can't go there. I'm never going to be an evangelist, but you can be. Yes. Be through your actions and through who you are and through your joy. And I think that I probably fail miserably at this a lot in my newsroom because the newsroom is a really intense place. Yeah. There's bad words. And I admit that I say bad words in the newsroom. And I know all your believers who are just disappointed in me now. I hope you get over it. But you know, it's <laughs> they, just will. Like- <laughs> we, they will. They'll be fine. And if not, that's on them and God. Well, I just try to live by example. And I love that you said that, Blake, because I never thought of it. Those were two different things. Yeah. Well, cause like, so, okay. I, I went to LSU and okay. we had free speech alley was like this part of campus. And it was just a place where literally anybody and everybody could set up tables or present like whatever. And there were always the people out there like handing out tracks. Some of them were yelling at you. Some of them were like holding up there, like you're going to burn in hell signs. Yeah. And I've always been a loud mouth, which is shocking for people who listen, I'm sure. No, (laughs) but like one of the, so I didn't, my relationship with Christ didn't like really become my own until I was a freshman in college. And by, I think my junior year was like this hallmark moment of standing in free speech alley. The people are yelling, they're holding up the signs. You know, it's the one that's like homosexuals, adulterers, fornicators, you know, like smokers, drinkers, you're all, you're all destined for hell. 
and he's yelling. And I remember kind of like, there was a crowd that had formed me kind of the front of the crowd and like very quietly being like, what impact are you making for the kingdom? And him like stopping and like turning and like, we, and we end up having this whole dialogue and he was, he was a jerk to be honest, which is like, how, how does that bring people into the kingdom? It, I, I don't think it does. And that's like a big statement to make, but what does bring people into the kingdom is people like Jim is people like seeing you. That's all people want. People just want to be seen and known and loved. And he saw you and like loved you no matter what. And was like, I want to spend time with you. That's what changed your life. That's what changed your relationship with the Lord. Like not somebody getting in your face. I so agree with you. You know what I want? I always want to, I wish I could put it on my Facebook page and say, who does this work for? Tell me Mm. who came to Christ through that man who is also on my campus at the university of Florida and Florida state and university of Miami. Those people are there. And I want to say, who have you converted? Tell me, because I'm interested because I don't get those people. And who have you pushed away would be a better question. Like who have you made look at that and be like, well, no, I don't want anything to do with Christians. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's scary. And that's kind of the image. I'm glad you brought that up of what I had of what this evangelism was. But Jim was none of that. No, was none of that. He didn't push it on me. He just shared what he knew. Yeah. And I took what I could from it. Because he did. He had something you didn't have and he wanted you to have it. Like that's it. You wrote part of my book for me, I think, because you just said two lines in my book that are word for word verbatim. Really? Did you steal it? Like, I'm just kidding. I did. No, I just, I just, that is so true. It is so true. Yeah. So I want to like talk more about the time that you got to spend with Jim. So we talked about like how y'all met and how you kind of gotten into this rhythm of, of meeting together. What was like the progression? So like your first five Tuesdays versus your last five, like they have to have been so different. So what did that timeline look like? Oh, I love that question. So our first day I opened my Chris Bible and Jim has his Bible and it's like tethered and I just look at it with total admiration. Like, man, he knows this stuff. And he says, let's begin in John. And what I want you to do is what I call the ABC method. And every week I want you to read a chapter and I want you to write down A, your title, B, your best verse, C, your challenge, D, your difficulty. And you would think E is next, but he made it summary. And I did that every week. And it took me a long time because of course I'm a really good student and I wanted to get like the gold star at the top of my Mm -hmm. paper. And if I would pick the same best verse, I was like, man, I am smoking it. (laughs) And then we would discuss it. And the best part is he would do it too. Mm. So this man who knew the Bible, who already memorized so much of it would, would do it along with me. And we would compare notes and discuss. And it was so good because I know what the Bible says is good and true and is love. Mm -hmm. And I do not agree with every single thing in it. I will admit that to you. There are some parts, like when I read revelation, I was like, can't do it. What is this? (laughs) Where's my tissue? (laughs) Right. Was it that you don't agree with it or that you don't understand it? Some of it was both. Yeah. Um, It was just really, I don't see our God as an angry or vengeful God. Um, So I don't know if that makes me then not a Christian because there's these certain (laughs) things you have to follow. I don't think that's how it works. I don't know. I just don't see him as being vengeful and angry in this horrible ending. I don't know. That's just me. In Puerto Rico. 
We call ourselves Boricua. We are proud, passionate, and full of life. On our island, adventure finds you. Strangers aren't strangers for long. The size of the audience doesn't change the beauty of the music. And we celebrate every last ray of sun. Live Boricua. You've always had what it takes to make it happen, and we know the right tools can make it easier. At Strayer University, we're always thinking about new ways to set you up for success. That's why we give you a brand new laptop when you enroll in a bachelor's program, so you can start off on the right foot and keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Eligibility rules, restrictions, and exclusions apply. Connect with us for details. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by Chef. Um, I don't see revelation way, is hard. Like revelation is hard for people who have walked with the Lord for 40 years. Like our pastor is this like man of like a legacy of faith and he's trying to dig into revelation and he'll very like not from the pulpit, but personally so that he can eventually oh. do it from the pulpit. And he will like very honestly be like, it was a, it was a hard book. It's a hard book. Like, so I think that that's understandable. I don't, I don't come away from my spirit, my study of revelation with like an angry and vengeful God. I come away from from it with a God who is who he says he is, who has given his people, Mm. who has given people opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, who is going to stick to what he said he was going to do. But it's definitely can be difficult to come to terms with. I I totally get that. Well, I think about it this way why do I even get to talk about this? Why did I get to write a book about it? I only studied it for five years weekly. I need about a hundred more years. And then you and I can be like, oh yeah, this is how it works. <laughs> exactly. No. And that's true. And I, I always like, God's okay with our questions. Like he, I always say he has really big shoulders. He's okay mm. with the fact that there are parts of scripture that don't make sense to us that great against us. Like it doesn't make them less holy and that doesn't make us less his kids. Like he's, I think he's okay with our grappling. I mean, maybe that's just me, but no, I I love that image. And I'm going to take that with me as he can handle our questions. Yeah. Thank you for teaching me that. 100%. So that's, so your first five are kind of doing this thing together, even though he's like, quote unquote, like ahead of you, he's meeting you where you are. And y'all are like doing this study. Y'all start in John. Mm -hmm. Where do you go from there? Like how, like. 200 Tuesdays is a lot. It is a lot of Tuesdays. And I didn't meet every single day, but for most of that time, we did. Yeah. He, um, we went throughout the Bible. I think the part that resonated with me the most is Proverbs, of course, because mm-hmm. it's understandable and beautiful. Yeah. And I just love things like that. And I would, you know, he would give me things to say to deal with people who, hurt my feelings along the way yeah. as a journalist. I mean, there the people are vicious on social media Ooh. and I'm trying to remember the Bible. I never remember numbers. That's not I can't either. That works for me. I, you people who remember this, gosh, that's so amazing. Numbers don't stick in my head. There's something about the prudent overlooking an insult. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, oh, here's what it says. Fools show their annoyance at once. The prudent overlook an insult. And I would yeah. put it on my computer. And I would have it right there because it is every day, not every day. That sounds dramatic. It's a lot of instruction from people about the way I said it, the way my head moved. Did I have a smile when I said something that was sad? 
oh, I don't like her makeup. What is she wearing? This and that. Okay, fine. I bought into this when I was a journalist, but it doesn't not hurt. And so Jim was so good at doing that. Also, my best friend is darn good at it. Jen, every time I get a really mean comment, she's so sassy and she gives me this perfect response back that I will never send, but it heals my heart. And it's like, yes, okay. I love that. Everybody needs a friend like that. Right? She's so good at it. (laughs) So anyways, to answer your question, I feel like I'm all over the place. We started in John, we moved through the Bible in different ways. And he would just tell me things that he wanted me to read first. I think things that he could tell would resonate with me. Mm -hmm. And then at one point he asked me, Diane, would you, do you want to be baptized? And I was like, wait, I was Catholic. I was baptized. Mm -hmm. Please open your eyes wider because he got in the water with (sighs) me at 101 years old. Right. Thank you. He caught in the, we have these friends who live in Pueblo and they have this giant, amazing mansion and they're so loving and they had a pool in their house who has that, but anyways, <laughs> they had this little spa pool area and he got in the water with me Mm-mm. and baptized me. And I have pictures of it. And I, I think the pictures show up in the insert in the book. I share them. Actually, I'll put it on my website. It's dianderby.com. I have to add that. I'll tell my web guy because they're so cool. Although they're so oh private. Gosh. I don't care. I'm not private. I will answer yeah. whatever you want to know. Yeah, And I felt that way when I wrote my book, but anyway, so he baptized me, he baptized my daughter when she was born, even though he said, I don't baptize children, I'll make it a dedication. Yeah, And it was, we had to do it quickly because my mother-in-law was dying of breast cancer and Mm. she was an elder in her church and she loved Jesus. And she loved talking about this. And within a month of Claire being born, we, we had her baptism in Glenary, which is the same place. Jim's hundredth birthday was the same place I eulogized him, the same place I got married my second time. I mean, he just helped me through so many things. And my book yeah. shares the story of my darkness, the worst part of my soul, and also the most beautiful moments and the really yeah. big struggles I had along the way and how he helped me. And I just can't wait for you to see how he shows up and how I think other people should show up for people in times of grief, in times of sorrow, in times of questioning and poor decision-making. And Jim was all of that Yeah, in so many ways. He was that best friend who's yet in his nineties that everyone deserves and wants yeah. to have. And also he had so many friends. It was nuts. And he had so many engagements. His right-hand man, Brett Clark would call it, where in the world is Jim Downing today? Like where's Waldo or something? <laughs> right. Because he was always speaking about Pearl Harbor, which he's the survivor of, about his faith. He loved talking to college kids. He would oh stay up until one o'clock in the morning with them answering their questions. That's amazing. And he would meet with them. Oh, he's just so amazing. Well, and at that age, having lived as much life as he had, it's almost like if anybody had earned the right to be selfish, it's somebody like Jim. But... Instead, he was this like selfless servant. Look, baptisms wreck me. Wreck, they wreck me. Me. I like sob. I they when they baptize people at our church, half the time I don't even know who they are, and I am sobbing, like weeping. They just oh, uh, I like. Hopefully, obviously, one day my girl, I have two girls. Like one day they'll be baptized. No, that's gonna be a no makeup day because it's just gonna be it's just gonna be like waterworks, but. Isn't that what we all want? Like, even if life has afforded us the quote unquote right to be selfish, to kick back and have people serve us and whatever, 
that you're like still in the trenches in your late days, like loving people, leading them to Christ, serving them. Like, yeah, like that's the goal, right? Like Jim is the goal, the gold standard. The gold standard. I love that word. I'll give you a really good example of our last couple of Tuesdays to answer the end part of your question. The last Tuesday I spent with him, he, we knew he was close to death and he looked at me and he said, Diane, I want you to start answering my emails. And I was like, oh yes, give me that task. So we sat there, I sat with his iPad and I would go through each one and I would read them out loud to him because he would stay up late at night answering so many emails. I think he got like, I don't know how many a day, but dozens of emails from people reaching out to him, wanting encouragement, wanting love. He would do it with one of my other best friends, just, just answering emails to them to encourage them. And so I became that person and that was really special for me. And I think I probably only got through 20 emails that day before he was just too tired to go on. But I was telling them, Jim is in his final moments and he wanted me to email you and he wanted me to respond to what you had to say. And so he would dictate what it was. And man, Mm. that was one of the coolest honors of my life to be able to write for him. So special. And he wanted to reach out to them and he wanted them. Oh, the moment I remember when they told me it was Jim's final moment, they said his family was so sweet to me and his daughter-in-law, who's a total angel was like, die, come, he's dying. So I went to the room and it was this, the same room, his wife died in the same room. We did our Bible studies in at his like little sitting area when he became too incapacitated to kind of get around as easy, but he still was totally present. Yeah. That room was warm and beautiful. And there was this incense burning and his grandson great-grandson was playing this beautiful music in there, just singing to him. And I just sat there and I had already told, I read Jim's eulogy to him Mm -hmm. when he was totally aware. So he knew what I was going to say and we were settled. And what a beautiful thing that is to know you're settled with someone because so many people don't get that. And I told him everything I thought about him. And I said the same things when I gave his eulogy. Yeah. That's such a gift because you're right. So many people don't get that opportunity. And I love that God like gave you this relationship and like start to fit. Like it got to be finished. Like it got to be started and it got to be finished like really beautifully. And then now you're getting to honor him. He wrote a book. He, did he know you were going to write a book? No, Jim is also an author. He is in the Guinness Book of World Records as the oldest author. I think he published at 99 or 100, his final book. Yeah. Just Google his books. They're totally amazing. It's about Pearl Harbor. And so I think he has five, four or five. Of course he does. I think I always, I think I'm one time said to him, I wanted to write a book with him, but after he died, can I tell you the story of how I got to write this book? It's really absolutely so rad. The navigators publishing team asked me to come to a lunch because there were a bunch of authors that were going to be there. And they said, will you come listen to them speak? And then come to lunch with us. And I was like, well, I can't do both. I know I can come to lunch. So I walk into Cowboy Star, which is this really nice steak place in Colorado Springs. It's fancy. It's not cheap. So we walk in and they have a private room. And I'm like, what? So I look at my publisher, Don Pape, who is one of the biggest delights of my life. He is a mentor, a loving friend. And I see him and I said, well, Don, it's so cool to be here with these authors. I said, you know, I've always wanted to write a book about Jim. And he goes, what do you think you're here for? I mean, the blood almost drained out of me. I was like, what? So he goes, I want you to meet someone who became my co-author, Trisha Heyer, who is the most delightful person. Oh, Blake, you would love her so much. The two of you would be friends. (laughs) She sat down and told me 
she's written 10 books now, her horrendous story of being a new mom to two young children and having her husband die in 24 hours. Mm. And she writes about this in her books. And she is, she helped make my words come alive on the page. And she's like, well, I'm going to do this with you. And this is so easy. And you're a full-time mom and a full-time journalist. There's no way you can get this done in any sensible time by yourself. Let me help you. And I was like, okay, sure. Like I, when I met Jim, yeah, it was that wonderful. Yeah. And, and I would write on my dinner breaks. I would write late at night and then we would meet together and you think you have this beautiful book and then they're like, (laughs) no, it's not good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then you rewrite, right. Yeah. You write and rewrite. And I just loved learning that process. And I couldn't have had it with someone who is more loving more intelligent, more kind than Trisha Heyer. So she became my co-author. That's amazing. Yeah. My, uh, I just wrote my first book and so amazing bleed out on the page. And then somebody tells you and somebody edit it, edits it. That's (laughs) it's so hard, but it is, it's such an incredible experience. I think most people can look back and see kind of those things. Like not everything good gets dropped in your lap. Like a lot of it you have to work for or have to struggle towards, but I feel like those are really sweet little, like it's cheesy, but like God winks or whatever. When like these things just like, boom, like, like my book deal, I think I've talked about this, but like my book deal dropped in my lap. Like my acquisitions editor found me and was like, we think you should write a book. That's unheard of. Like people have to write proposals and get agents and like grind and all this kind of stuff. And it just felt like God being like, you should write a book. You know what I mean? And like, not everything in life has come that way by any stretch of the imagination, but I love, like, I feel like those moments require you to step back and go, okay, God, like being in that room and that guy saying, why do you think you're here? Like, that's such a like, okay, God. It's, I call it away from heaven, a gift from heaven. Mm. It is totally a gift from Jim. Uh, oh, it is. Uh, it is a gift from him. Yes. There is no other explanation to me that he said, well, he always would say to me that, cause I love talking about heaven. Love, 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 love talking about yes. heaven. And I actually had a really hard conversation with my five-year-old just this week about what heaven looks like and why is she bringing this up already at five? Oh my gosh. But <sighs> yeah. I love talking about heaven. And Jim always would say, I go, do you think they're watching us on earth? He goes, I think they're too busy enjoying their Amen. life there. Yep. He goes, I don't think they're worried about anyone on earth, but yep. I think Jim stopped for a second and was like, here you go. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, oh, that's so good. So to close this out, what is your hope that people like walk away with having read 200 Tuesdays? I want them to know that there is a path to fulfillment that is so real and so tangible and so waiting for them right there. Yeah. And Jim reveals that in the book. And that's what I hope. I I hope they have hope from it. I hope that they Mm. see love. And that love is talked about over and over and over and over and over again in the Bible and that they can come to this book, whether they're Christian or not. I have one of my dear friends who is a devout Jew who wrote about, she um, gave me endorsement, but she was sobbing in the book and she loved the message. So I think the book is for anyone. And I think there's some really ugly parts of me that I reveal and I hesitated so, so much to write it, but I thought I'm coming to these, to the community with all of me. If I, if I don't write this part, yeah, it's not believable. And when I wrote it and my publisher said, this is the point in the book and your story that they go, ah, now mm. I like her. 
Yeah. Because they see the shiny journalist with the makeup and all this and oh, my life looks so perfect. No, my -hmm. life is just as messed up as yours. And I reveal that. I love that. The the best books that you read are messy. Like, I don't want to, I don't want like, who wants to read a book about somebody's perfectly curated life? Because first of all, you're lying. I know that it's not like nobody's life is. And we read to want to feel like we somehow fit or we want, we're all looking to like find a piece of ourselves in books. And so books like yours are my favorite. I can't wait for it to come out. By the time this episode comes out, I'm pretty sure your book is out. So 200 Tuesdays, people can get that wherever, wherever they get books, all the places you get books. Where can people connect with you online? On dianderby.com or on my Facebook page, which is Diane Derby CO for Colorado. Okay. And my name has two ends in it with two ends. Okay. Diane. Yeah. Diane, thank you so much. This has been incredible. Thank you for saying that. That means a lot to me. All right. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right. See you next week.